1: From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously
0: dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by
1: Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bowhunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation and now here's your
0: nine fingered host dan johnson all right ladies and gentlemen here we go again welcome to the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras and we got a unique podcast today um returning guest dan course is coming back on the podcast, and he is going to talk a little bit about building his own arrows. Now, he sent me an email, and he's like, hey Dan, I've, over the past handful of years, I've been tinkering with building my own arrows, and that's something that caught my attention, because as a self-proclaimed gearhead, I like to talk a lot about gear and, and not necessarily research it quite yet, but look into a variety of different options before I end up purchasing a, a specific archery product. But one thing I want to become better at and get to get get educated on is building my own arrows and building my own bow as far as being able to take it apart, put it back together, you know, take a twist out of the, the rope, get a, get a bow press, you know, know what fletchings do to the arrow and Know whether or not you know I want to add or subtract, you know, wait for FOC. So when Dan brought this to my attention, I'm just like, heck yeah, I want to get you on and talk about it because you know I can see myself definitely doing that in the uh, in the next handful of years when I get a little bit more time and my life isn't so hectic. But that's what today's podcast is about: building your own arrows. That we have the intro gets kind of long. We we go off on a tangent right away, but Hold out for about you know ten minutes, and uh, we we will definitely get into building arrows. Now, uh, another big announcement that I want to make on this podcast is that today is Monday when most of you guys are listening to this. However, I also launched a second podcast on the Sportsman's Nation big game western hunting rss feed now you'll be able to see it if you go to sportsmansnation.com but there are two nine finger chronicles podcasts that have been launched today and one is on the whitetail feed the other is on the big game western hunting feed so wherever you guys go to download or listen to these podcasts Search for Sportsman's Nation Big Game Western Hunting, and uh, that podcast will pop up. So it's a a pretty cool podcast. Let's see, I did it with a guy named Craig McGovern, and we talk about the the path he's taking the gear that he needs and you know preparing for his very first western elk hunting trip so i felt that you know might as well put it on the western big game feed and i want all of you whitetail nuts to go over and check out that feed and check out that other podcast that i've put up there so uh, make sure you guys do that other than that lone wolf tree stands guys you know i've been an advocate of this particular brand for a very long time, even before this podcast, because it is, in my opinion, the most efficient tree stand for the public land, the run and gun, the mobile hunter, and you're not selecting a tree because it's straight up and down, you're se- selecting a tree because it's in the right location, the location that you need to be in to kill a deer. And, uh, you know, that's what the lone wolf system does. The sticks and the stand, they allow you to get in crooked trees that are not perfect, but because you're able to adjust them and level them in the tree, it it turns out to be a very run and gun hunter-friendly setup, and that is why I use Lone Wolf Tree Stands. Now, what you need to do is go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash fingers That's the number nine followed by the word fingers. The first thing you need to do is enter your email address into the little slot there that uh, asks for your email address, and then what that's going to do is it's going to give you a discount code, and that discount code is 9 fc five zero and you're going to receive fifty dollars off all orders over two hundred dollars and by entering your email address into that little slot it's also going to I guess put you in for a giveaway and uh, those giveaways are lone wolf hunting products sticks and stands and climbers so you never know you could win and we're going to be doing that this summer and we're going to be doing that early this fall, so make sure you enter now so you know your name is in it to win it, and that's Lone Wolf, my friends. Now, enough of the jaw Jack, and let's get into today's podcast with Dan Kors from Texas about building your own arrows. All right, we have a returning guest today, Mr. Dan Kors, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're all the way down in Texas, right? That's right, Dan. I'm uh, down in the Dallas, Texas area. Nice, nice. Okay, so it's been a while since we've talked, man. How did your 2017 season end out?
1: You know, I had a interesting
0: season. It was good, all things considered. I didn't get
1: a big buck down. Uh, I got a couple of management deer and uh, a doe or two, some meat in the freezer. And uh, actually, actually, one of the first things the my highlight was I killed a management buck that I end up donating for needy needy people that need food and that was that was the last day of the season in Texas and it was probably the highlight of my the highlight of my season
0: That's awesome. So I know Iowa has a program I think it's called the Hush program here in Iowa where we can uh donate a deer to, uh, I, I guess to a, a processor and they will turn that meat in to whoever needs it, uh, whatever, I guess, organization. So how does that work? Is there a specific organization that you donated to, or do you donate it to a locker? How's that work?
1: Well, what, what, what happens is there are a couple of organizations in the area and they partner with the processors and, and meat lockers, if you will. And they offer them, uh, I think it's Safari Club and Hunters for the Hungry are the two like parent organizations that work with the, the processors. And they basically donate these vouchers. So when you when you when you kill an animal, you take it to the processor, you let them know you want to donate it. And they'll give you a voucher, which is actually a tax write-off. It's like a receipt, like if you're donating clothing, old clothing or something, a Goodwill or what, what have you. Yeah. And they give you a receipt for it, and they turn the, turn the animal over to uh, needy people that they've already partnered with. Sometimes it might be another organization, like a, a religious institution or church or something like that, or it may be a shelter. Yeah. Uh that uh, homeless shelter or something like that. So it's really a good cause. Absolutely. And I just got such a, you know, my my freezer was full, but I wanted to try to help manage the the deer herd on the property I was hunting, and I thought this was a great way to be able to take another deer and do so cuz otherwise I wouldn't have wanted to, you know, harvest that animal.
0: Right. Absolutely. Now, is this the first time that you've ever done anything like this as far as donating a deer?
1: It It is in that regard, but you know, we all have friends and family yeah. and, and they say, Hey, can I have, can I have some steaks or some burgers or w- whatever the case is, they want something. And that's not really a donation. That's just like, you know, sharing okay. with a friend. Yeah. But this, but this entirely went to the organization and uh, it was a, a really good
0: feeling. Right. Absolutely. And that, you know, there's other than buying a tag, right? I mean, it's basically like you're buying a ticket to do what you love to do, but you don't get anything out of it. Other. Well, I guess other than, like you said, the, the, the positive feeling of helping out someone in need.
1: Right. Right. You, you get out of it. Well, I got a couple of things out of it. One, it was the experience of hunting, which is like you said, what we love to do. Right. And then two, it, it, uh it helped my my property and the deer population, right? Get get, get a particular balance, and then three, it um, it it helped the family that was the the end user, you know, right. the recipient.
0: Right. Absolutely. I think that. And you
1: you know what's odd about that too, though, is when you think about it, <clears throat> I was having this conversation with a lot of people. We 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 all love this wild game meat, but man, I went to the supermarket. And started looking at what we pay for, like, grass-fed, free-range, organic meat, or what have you. And, and that's the equivalent, in my mind, of what we get from wild deer or venison, you know? Yeah. And that cost is through the roof. So, so this, this family, well, in addition to us as a consumer, they were getting, like, this is, like, top-shelf protein you yeah. know top shelf meat and i'm like they wouldn't otherwise donate that to a, a a soup kitchen or or you know yeah or or some shelter they're not getting that top top shelf usually i mean they might yeah. but i don't think so
2: yeah
0: so I it was
1: it. just that's just phenomenal
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy okay so this year i had my ground deer meat So every pound of deer meat was, well, I had it packaged in pounds, but 25% of it was mixed with beef just so I could say to my wife, well, there's beef in it. Because she likes deer meat, but she's not like, she doesn't like it like I like it, you know what I mean? Right, right. So I I had it mixed with 25% ground beef. Now, I opened this package, and it's a dark, rich, like, lean dark meat color and then I go to the mm-hmm. g- grocery store and I open up ground beef and it's pink and mm-hmm. I've, I've lived on a farm before and I've seen what be, like what meat is supposed to look like not only from a harvest you know a cow but from uh, a, a deer as well and meat is not supposed to be pink so that's right. So whatever they're putting into this ground beef that most of us feed our families, it mm-hmm. it just makes me want to even provide my family with more deer meat every year.
1: Right. Right. And and my wife is the same way. I, I grew up eating wild game and, and fish my whole life. And she really didn't grow up that way. Right. So she has a little bit of, aversion to eating it she she can she can cook it like nobody's business (laughs) but she doesn't really eat it and my 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 son my oldest son he'll eat it you know you know you better get your portion before he comes (laughs) around because he's (laughs) he's gonna finish it off and then my younger son he's actually in school for culinary arts right now he can kind of eat it some but he could leave it some. So he's yeah. kind of in between. He's he's more to his mother's side. Yeah. But uh, so I don't need a lot. But man, that is some of I told my wife at Thanksgiving. She cooked some Thanksgiving. We had family and friends over. We had a fried turkey. You, you know how we do it down south. Yep. We had a fried turkey. <laughs> my son was home from culinary school, so he cooked uh, a a beef roast and then we had some venison stew. I told my wife I said you can have all of that this venison <laughs> stew this you, you can take everything off the thanksgiving table cuz this was a highlight other, other than there's one particular dish my son made another one and it was really good but I said man this is way better than any fried turkey I ever had it's better than any steak I ever had right. this this is like top shelf to me right right
0: you know I always I had I always have these dreams like I I want to plant, a, every year I try to plant a garden. Sometimes it turns out, sometimes it doesn't. Mostly it's because I don't pay enough attention to it as I, I need to. But this summer I had a meal that I provided my family that was deer and vegetables that I grew from my garden. So everything that we ate for that meal was raised, planted by my family or harvested by me And I don't know what it is about it, but it's just a really good feeling. And it's something I wish I could do more of. I'm the same
1: way. I I have a, I've had gardens, uh, and not so much this past year, but the year before. And I did the same thing. And it's such a feeling of accomplishment and and a feeling of purpose that there have been few things that I can compare that to. You know, it's different than going out, working hard, making a paycheck and buying those groceries and everybody being satisfied and, you know, you say, "Oh, I can't wait to the leftovers." That's one thing. But when it's the fruit of your labor and and meat from your 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 uh, toiling out there to try to harvest this game, right. It, it's just way different. It's it takes it to another level. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, man. Now you got me thinking of what I want to do for my garden this year
1: oh <laughs> uh, i'm i'm way behind don't don't even bring that up that's a sore subject around here because I, I just i just kind of suck at that right now i was doing good for a couple years and actually when i started hunting again it became harder because i enjoy hunting more than i do gardening yeah and my my gardening suffered
0: <laughs> so did your wife get mad at you because she liked uh, like the garden no,
1: she didn't like the garden. She liked the harvest of the garden. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> so I was I was doing all the work, you know. She she would help some, especially in the beginning. But you know, the 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 middle of the summer in Texas is brutal to be out there, and she just had very little interest,
2: you know. Right.
1: But it, it's all it's all good. She she knows that she's okay with it because I'm a happier husband now that I'm out hunting and get to spend time out there. So. Yeah. She appreciates that.
0: You know, you keep bringing up these things I want to talk about. I mean, the we the original podcast was supposed to be about uh building arrows and we're going to we're still going to get to that. <laughs> but but you said something right there that I've been thinking about a lot and that is you are she has a happier husband now that you are going out and going hunting. And You know, obviously, we don't have a wife on here to talk about it, um, but I know that my wife gets frustrated with me when I go out and hunt, I don't know, multiple weekends in a row. But I come back, what I feel is happier, refreshed, rejuvenated. I feel that I can, at that point, be more focused on her and my kids and my duties as a father and a husband so mm-hmm. do you, does she feel that same way or does she still kind of give you the run around? You know, oh, you don't need to be going hunting so much or anything like that. She doesn't give me
1: too hard a time. You know, I have it probably a little bit easier than you because my kids are basically grown right. and one of them is away in college. Uh, so, you know, my my duties around the house are mostly honeydew lists.
2: Right. I don't have
1: to, you know, see after the kids and go help do this and change any baby diapers and stuff like that. I'm long, long <laughs> past that stage in my life. So I get a bit of a reprieve, and I, I, I kind of guilted her into this, right? It's a long story, but the, the short of it is when we got married, Uh, Well, we moved, we moved around when we made the move from Pennsylvania to Texas. I had some, uh, some hunting clothes (laughs) that were left at our house in Pennsylvania. And she was, you know, buttoning up all the stuff for the move. Long story short, I came, I went back to Pennsylvania to meet, meet the family and my hunting clothes disappeared and I didn't know where they were. So I lost like, you know. 90% 90% of the hunting clothes that I had. Oh, and and, the, and then my boys started growing. So I was like, well, life's different. You know, life happens. There's a lot of activities with the kids. And then when they grew up, I said, well, I'm getting back into hunting. And so I had to buy all of this gear. Like, every now 90% of what I have is new, yeah.
2: right?
1: So, So she felt a little guilty because my story is she lost it. She, she she threw it away with other trash that we were throwing out when we were moving. So I blame that. So I get a little bit of reprieve because of that and and she she gives me a little bit of space. The only only thing she uh criticizes me for is that she says, "Oh, I thought hunting season was October to <laughs> <or> January." Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> You know, but I'm going out, I'm checking trail cameras, I'm filling feeders, I'm, you know, researching new properties. Now I'm applying for Western hunts and and I got to go to the archery range and I'm building (laughs) arrows and all this other stuff that's basically off-season prep to me, you know?
2: Absolutely. And she's
1: just like, what happened to October to January? Right. And I was like, well, well, I'm I'm sorry, but, you know, that's kind of what it is. But she, she's real accepting. We, 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 we now schedule time, her time and my time. And then we have we time, Yeah, you know,
0: Yeah. or us time, whatever you want to say. I got a question for you. Ha, have uh-huh. you ever tried to involve your wife, uh, out in the woods with you or taking part in some of these maybe hunting related, but not directly hunting related activities?
1: I have, I have. I joined the archery club, and uh, she came to the range one day with me. And believe it or not, her first, she was shooting a, a recurve, like a longer recurve they have, and she shot her first arrow. was It was probably in the 9 ring. It might have been the 10 ring. I can't remember, but it was like a good shot. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, you're a natural. <laughs> well, she, she shot some more, and then she never went back again. You know, yeah. but anyway, uh, some other times I say, oh, want you come, to, I hunt a, another ranch in Oklahoma too. I say, oh, want you come up to the ranch with me, you can hang out, you know, see the cows and all this other stuff. And she hadn't really done that. And, you know, but you, you know what she did do one, one weekend this season, we went out um, and my, the property I hunt is like three hours from where I live. Yeah. So when I go, I'm going for the weekend. Right. Right. And she came with me and I rented a cabin uh, at a nearby state park and we stayed in a cabin. And so we kind of had a little mini vacation. Right. And it was cold. I mean, it got really cold. Well, for here, it was cold. It's probably not our cold, but it was cold. (laughs) And so, man, I went out one day and I came back that evening. She she had a fire roaring. And she had like some hot soup made and everything. She was all in. We had a great time though.
2: That's awesome. So that's
1: the closest she really came, you know, um, to 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 spending, you know, taking part in the hunting activities. Was probably she camped out, you know, right. in a cabin, so to speak, with me. But that was fun. But awesome. she doesn't. She she won't do that often. She won't do it often.
0: Right, right. I hear you, man. And you're probably right. I, you know, my all my kids are. I mean, my oldest is five years old and then two underneath that. So when daddy's gone for a weekend or my, my week long elk hunt that's coming up or my two week uh, rut vacation that in November, I can definitely see how it would be very difficult and frustrating for her to, I mean, my kids are crazy. So, (laughs) so (laughs) I know, uh, I know, I know what it's like. I know what she's going through and, uh, I know it's tough, so. I guess kudos to her. Yeah, I, yeah.
1: The, the, the kids are crazy, and they can get that from your side of the family. Yeah. So it's, it's double your fault, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that time, you know, when it starts getting close, I mean, we've been together long enough now, so when it starts getting close to October and November, there's like this, there's this like eerie calm that is over the house where... My wife knows what's going to come. She knows that it's not, like if she argues and complains, it's really not going to help her uh, because I'm mm-hmm. going to be doing it anyway, and <laughs> it's like she's now learning to just deal with it, but I will tell you this, that I am taking her on a dream vacation in June to Sonoma and Napa Valley, California for, uh, wine tours and stuff like that. So, so that is kind of almost like a bribe or a payoff for however many years to say, okay, you, you got yours. Now I'm going to go get mine.
1: Right. 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 You lower that. I mean, we, we all have to do that. Right. My wife and I, we, we've taken a few vacations, uh, actually the last couple, just, just last month, it was just she and I, and that, that was really good. So she's good. The, her big thing now is I got to get the garage cleaned out. Mm-hmm. So hunt season's over. She says, get the garage cleaned out so I can park my car in the garage. I never have to get hot or cold to go get in the car. I don't have to get wet or, or snowed on or whatever. And what she, what she hasn't realized is that now, I have an ulterior motive in cleaning out the garage because I have a bow press on the way Uh-oh. and I got to, I got to make space for, for a little, little little bow shop in the garage. So I'm going to say like, honey, I got the garage cleaned out. Here's your, here's your, a perfect parking spot for you. It's all cleaned up. And then over on the other side, I'll get this bow press. Set up. <laughs> And that's my real motivation, but she'll get something out of
0: it. So she won't complain. Next thing you know, you're going to start. I mean, we're going to start talking about building arrows here. It sounds like you've got a bow press. Next thing you know, you're going to have strangers hanging out in your garage while you're working on their bows.
1: Right, right, right. It, it it may come to that, but, uh, but she'll, she'll be good with it. If if I were home more and, uh, and I was happier, she, she has no problem with
0: it. Absolutely. let's start talking about building arrows, man, because this is something that intrigues me, and as a guy who is a, I'm a self-proclaimed gear junkie because I like to know all the, the good, you know, new gear that's coming out, I like to try different brands and different products of, you know, certain archery equipment, and the next step for me would be to start building my own equipment and tuning my own equipment like you know getting a bow press building my arrows so my first question to you is when and why did you all of a sudden you know say you know what I want to start building my arrows
1: yeah well this kind of goes back to to uh the beginning of my archery bow hunting, you know life probably about uh 25 years ago or, or more, I, um, you know, you used to buy, I don't know if you go back that far, but you used to buy your arrows at the archery shop, right? You go in there and none of, none of the arrows came pre fletched right? So you go in there and you pick out your, your vein or feather colors and the arrow and all that stuff. And you tell them, hey, make these up for me. So back then I was shooting mostly feathers. And you shoot them in the bag and everything. And, and over time, uh, which some, some cases it was a few weeks or whatever. They just become so tattered that you say, oh, I need to refletch this one or, or something It came off or what, whatever. So it never failed that I go back to the bow shop and let's say now it's, it's September and you need to get these arrows re- refreshed for hunting season. Right. And they say, oh, man, that's going to be uh, leaving with me. And I, I, you can come back in like two weeks. And I'm like, two weeks? It's <laughs> like, what? And then it's like, yeah, man, we got all these bows here and people buying bows and getting outfitted every day. You know how everybody waits to the last minute, right? right, right. And uh, so they were just so backed up. And I grew up in a place where you didn't have, I, I think we had two bow shops in, in the area. And uh, they both were pretty much packed. So after this happened to me once or twice, I said, "Man, how do you how do you do this? I'm watching y'all do this, and it take why does that take two weeks? And it's not rocket science." So I started doing that just to be able to refletch my arrows whenever I needed them, mostly during the during the bow season, uh, hunting season, yeah. and then I didn't have to worry about waiting on anybody else you know to to get it done for me, just be self reliant right and uh if if we fast forward to now i just became more and more anal about how that arrow building goes because now i just want to shoot better
0: right right so when you started and in this if you can remember going you know, back 25 years now it, when you started building your own arrows <laughs> I, I I can imagine myself going through a new process like this and being fr- really frustrated right off the bat. Was there a mm-hmm. learning curve to this? Uh, to you know, to to taking on some of this responsibility to yourself and you know short you know short term, was it worth it for you?
1: Well, it was definitely worth it because, like I said, I became self reliant and then. There was a bit of a learning curve, but I found it to not be too difficult. Okay. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're the kind of person that can deal with, you know, kind of fine motor skills or, you know, give a little attention to detail, then it's really not that bad. And I had a few people that uh, at least one guy that was one of the best archers I ever met personally. And and he he taught me most of what I knew about archery for the first you know 20 years, and uh, he he showed me how to do it and it wasn't that bad. Now I made some mistakes though. You get one and then it flew flew kind of weird or you know it ripped off the first time or two you shot it or one was the offset was different than the other two or three you know, veins on there or whatever the case may be. And, and then, you know, you just cut it off and you can redo it. So you get, you got time to practice. And back then I think, I think I ordered, I think I called up Cabela's or something like that. You know, it was all mail order catalog stuff back then. Yeah. So you call this 800 number and order veins or, or fletchings or whatever. you get like a box of 50 and it's like, man, it's going to take me forever to go through. 50 50 uh, fletchings you know especially when you got multiple colors so I had like 150 fletchings it's like what am I going to do with all this so you really <laughs> have a lot of a lot of material to practice and you got nothing but time yeah and after that I, I never bought I, I never bought another uh, pre-fletched arrow since probably the you know maybe the first first season I used whatever they built for me after that I never bought another pre fledged arrow.
0: Right. So other than, you know, this one guy who kind of taught you how to do a lot of this stuff, I mean, how did you know how long arrows needed to be? And how did you know, I don't know, like how to balance? Who taught you that? Where did you learn that from?
1: Well, I should probably clarify one thing. I I don't have an arrow saw yet. Okay. So I would I would have the bow shot cut my arrows, cut my shafts. Let me put it that way. Cut my shafts. Right. And then I'd go, you know, glue my inserts and apply the fletchings or veins and put the knocks in. Right. So I, I, whatever that initial setup was, that's what I used. Okay. And then uh, I did I did have like back then the old Eastern arrow sizing chart and uh it was like a book it was probably like a uh, like a man it might have been a quarter inch thick or something and it talked about arrows it was like a little manual and it's so it was just kind of you know reading material I just read what the different numbers meant the diameters the wall thicknesses and back then they didn't talk about spine
2: yeah. you know
1: so that's something that's that was kind of new to me when I got back into hunting after my kids grew up. So, but it was, it was a similar transition. It made sense to me. It's kind of straightforward to me, but, but I'm an engineer by schooling. And so a lot of techie stuff falls right into, you know, my wheelhouse or at least how I like to think about things. Right. And so I didn't have any, any problem comprehending, you know measurements and foc and spine and thickness and you know those kind of things they don't they don't frighten me at all you know some people might just say hey i just want the thing to shoot straight and i get that you know but but um i i i can tolerate that pretty easily
0: so you know the more i get into learning about aero setups and you know what what your arrow should be compared to what your bow, you know, the, I guess the specifications of your bow, I'm starting to realize that there is a thousand and one different ways to set up an arrow, right? So, um, mm-hmm. this year mm-hmm. was my first year ever shooting a 4 fletched arrow, um, because mm-hmm. I heard that it stabilizes the bow, the arrow faster, uh, and you know, it gets a straighter, more accurate shot now. That's what Mm -hmm. I read. So over the years, has your arrow setup changed, you know, you know, from either number of fletchings or, you know, the, the FOC or whatever, or has it kind of stayed pretty much consistent?
1: Um, well, the, the, a couple of things changed for me from what I learned to what I shoot now, a couple of big things. The biggest thing is I went from aluminum to carbon. Right. right? So carbon existed 20, 20 plus years ago, but you know, you go into a shop and you just had like one or two bands of of carbon arrows, you know, and they were so much more expensive, you know, than the aluminum. Right. And then so now you go into a shop and it may be more difficult to find aluminum arrows. You may not even see any. I can't I, I can't remember you might see some of the eastern stuff that's that's uh you know like the FMJs or where they have the aluminum over the carbon or what have you you might see some of that stuff still uh and I know a lot of people still use aluminum so that was the one big thing that that migration from aluminum to carbon and then I never really changed my uh fletch configuration I always shot I've always shot three fletch although I've toyed with the idea a shooting four-fletch but right now I don't I don't see a major need in the way I hunt or where I hunt for me to need a four-fletch um, but I'm not I'm not opposed to trying it and playing with it um, so in, anyway yeah the big the biggest biggest thing for me I went from feathers and aluminum to mostly to veins and carbon. And then now, since we talk spine and FOC and stuff like that, I've kind of um, i kind of played with the FOC a little bit, and I, I don't obsess about it. But I've just tried to add a little bit to improve my arrow flight some, and also the penetration that I that I get with the arrows. Gotcha.
2: Um,
1: but you know, I don't I don't obsess about any of it other than making the arrows as identical as possible across the you know, across all the arrows in my quiver.
0: Right. Did that take a while to get used to uh to, to making each one identical?
1: No, not really. It it was actually it's it's actually kinda calming. So when I when I do it and get it set up, I um I just take my time and I'm not one of these guys that says, "Oh, I got to bang out a whole dozen arrows tonight or something like that." I might make three or four, and I'll do it, you know, between watching television or what, whatever I'm doing, tilling around the house, and I right. kind of get them made up. So it, it it's not really just overwhelming or anything. Um, the 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 biggest the biggest part about it is. I'm not a great archer. Like I really don't shoot phenomenally well at all, not even close. So I wanted to eliminate all the other variables or minimize, I shouldn't say eliminate, but minimize all these other variables and, and building them all and taking my time allowed me to help do that because I can't otherwise shoot well enough to compensate for inferior arrow bills or consistency or anything like that.
0: Right. Yeah, man, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, what you know, you mentioned playing around with your FOC. What are some things, you know, you talk well, I should say on the back end of the arrow, you you know, you talk about um, you know, changing from fletchings to veins. But on the front end mm-hmm. of the arrow, um, do you play around with any inserts or um you know going from 100 to 125 inch uh, heads anything like that well what,
1: what i did I, I slightly did that on the uh on the uh on the front end so i shoot a uh if you don't mind me saying what i shoot i no, shoot a like uh i shoot i shoot a gold tip um uh, hunter and the first iteration of these that I was shooting was like, you know, kind of middle of the road arrow, right? Cause I don't know if you know, but they make the gold tip Hunter series in like three grades. There's like the XT. I mean, there's the regular Hunter and there's like an XT. And then there's like a pro and pretty much the only thing that changes is the straightness and weight tolerance from arrow to arrow. Right. Okay. So, It's like, it's like three grades, A, B, and C, and let's say A is the highest. So I tried to split the difference and I bought the middle grade, say like a B grade, which is the XT shaft. And I shot that and it was fine. And, you know, remember, remember my my wife lost all my hunting gear, so I had to buy everything. So I tried not to have a huge investment. So I went middle of the road on these arrow shafts. So anyway... I uh, I make these arrows up and I shoot them for a year and they were doing okay. And then, so I said, well, can I shoot better? What if I either buy me a saw and start cutting the the non-straight pieces off the end, either end of the shaft or both ends, or just buy a straighter arrow in the same family, you know? So I bought the higher grade, which is, they call it a probe. So it has a straighter tolerance. And the weight tolerance within that dozen arrows, let's say, is all you know a little bit tighter as well. So what I also did then is uh, I said, well, if I want to get a little bit better penetration, I can add a little weight to the front of my shaft. And with Gold Tip, they make it kind of easy because their insert. It's threaded all the way through, right? And so they make a weight system that you can add like 10 grain or 20 grain or 50 grains of weight to the back of the insert. If you will like down inside the shaft, you screw it in from the back and you screw your field tip or broadhead in from the front. Right. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. So so I I started I started playing with FOC by doing that. So I kept my, my tip the same. I shoot a hundred grains or a hundred grain field tip and broadhead and I added, well, what happens if I add 10 grains and I immediately, and I also got a straighter arrow. I immediately start seeing my arrows. You ever shoot arrows and you see one kick to the side a little bit. Absolutely. Um, so that could be a couple of things. It could be your bow tuning or it could be the arrow. So once I did that, I almost eliminated that that odd flying arrow, you know, that might kick to the side a little bit. I rarely saw that. And uh, my groups tighten up. And to me, it suggested that I had enough FOC to kind of keep that back end of the arrow from trying to. Uh, uh you know swing around it it basically let the front end guide the arrow, and the back end was just kind of stabilizing along for the ride you know and that's right. that's that 's really the point of f o c it's just so you don't get the arrow the back end trying to swing around the front end while it 's in flight
0: so when you did you know after you started playing with this f o c and you noticed that you were getting more penetration. When you were practicing how did that translate to actually hunting
1: well the the what i saw on the target range was that my shafts were all hitting the target straight like almost always straight when i took that to the field i um let's say i shot last year i know we talked about my last season but i shot three deer and you know, of course, we have this hog population down here that's really problematic. And I shot two hogs. And uh, man, I shot through every deer. I got complete pass through. Even even shooting through uh, the offside shoulder blade, I still got I got complete pass through. And and I was like, I got pass throughs on the hog one one hog i didn't get a pass through because i spined him you know but uh but you know to me that's great penetration because he didn't take another step you know he fell right there so i I, i'm okay with that but it basically to answer your question i just got i just blew through everything i shot more or less and i was like and this is great you know so I I have a difficult time. Now, I know there are other factors, too, the the angle of the shot and, you know, the broadhead and stuff like that. But the arrow, I know the arrow didn't hurt me at all.
0: Right. So, obviously, it sounds to me like you found it beneficial to add, you know, more weight up front. Is this something that over the years you've kept adding weight up front, kept adding weight up front, and then either had to back down or it off of it or kind of found what you feel is the perfect arrow for you?
1: Well, I don't know if it's perfect and I don't know if I'm done tweaking yet either, but my, my first, my first uh, venture was to just add this 10 grains. And it it worked out really well. I may, I may go back and try 20 and I'm trying to strike the balance between the arrow flight and penetration and not losing speed. Not, not, not giving up too much speed either. Right. Okay. Cause I don't shoot, I don't shoot a lot of weight. I shoot just over 60 pounds, you know, excuse me, 60, 62 pounds. And, um, I shoot a lot from a ground blind, so I'm usually sitting. So I want it to be really comfortable. Um, and, and 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 I, I don't want to go. I know a lot of guys, they'll say, oh, let's throw some brass weight. I mean, brass inserts in there and, you know, 50-pound insert or 150-grain. uh got to say 50-pound, 50 50-grain 50 insert or 150-grain broadhead. I'm not going that extreme because – you also you may end up having to change your arrow shaft altogether, yeah. you know, because it might weaken weaken your spine too much if you if you change it too much. In my first venture, I was still pretty much shooting the same shaft. I just wanted to tweak it, and e- even when I bought the, these shafts, I aired on the side of being a little bit stiffer because I knew I wanted enough to play with. Right. And uh, and and if I wanted, to, honestly, I have enough arrow that if I do want to go up to say, uh, 30 or 50 more grains up front. I could, I could probably cut a little bit off my shaft to not lose the spine, spine rating a little bit. You know what I mean? Because if you, if you shorten the shaft, that strengthens the spine. And if you add weight, that weakens the spine. So if I do a little bit of both, I may stay close to where I am. So right now I still got enough arrow to play with and I got enough weight that I can add to the front to play with that too. And not, not jeopardize my overall performance. Cause I don't want to necessarily scrap it or go buy a dozen shafts and say, let me come up with a configuration that works and say, oh, that that didn't really shoot. Well, let me buy another dozen and yeah. do that. To me, that's a little bit ridiculous, especially if I'm already having really good success in the field.
2: Right.
0: Right. So is there something then you're are you planning on making any type of tweaks to the to your arrow setup this upcoming year before the season starts?
1: One one of the things I'm playing with right now is uh I was shooting the the typical, you know, uh blazer veins, you know, two inch veins or whatever, and right. you know, they, they work great, right? I'm playing with uh, a lower profile vein that's a little bit longer. It's like in the three inch range and it's a little bit stiffer. It's it's another boning vein that came out with heat vein. So I'm trying that. And uh, because I want to, I want to stretch out, uh, I want to test it further down range, you know, right. 50, 60, 70 yards and see what kind of performance I get there side-by-side side with, uh, with the two-inch Blazers that I've been shooting, too, and kind of see what the groups do. And then also see uh, I, need, I need to find a way to kind of measure the sound because I think the, the lower-profile three-inch veins are supposed to be a little bit quieter than the Blazers. And I'm doing all of this because in the next, you know, I hope in the years to come, next year or two, uh, maybe this year, I may do some western hunting, oh,
2: awesome. and if
1: I get drawn, I want to be able to, you know, shooting whitetails here. I mean, thirty forty yards is a long shot in in most cases where where I hunt. Right. But out west, that may be the closest shot you get is thirty yards. You know, so I want I want to be able to have a good arrow that's quiet, flies well lower profile veins, less likely, you know, to hit, hit things in, in the way limbs and such, uh, once you're shooting further down range at an animal. Right. You know? So that, that's what I'm working on over the summer. Plus, plus just becoming a better shot. I need, to, I need to just practice more. You know, I've been tweaking some other things, a release and things like that, that I've been just trying to get better so that, you know, you, you we wait all these years applying for points and tags and stuff and then I don't want to go there and blow it cuz you know I had had a, something else not working right for me a release or arrow or penetration or you know whatever that is I am trying to work on those things now so I, I have a little better toolbox once it's time to go to work you know
0: right absolutely have you noticed uh I guess, better accuracy, not necessarily because of your equipment, but because you're paying more attention to your setup as a whole, you're focusing on archery more, you know, you're now involved in your, your equipment a little bit, you know, obviously more because you're building it. Have you noticed uh, an increase in accuracy?
1: I have noticed an increase in accuracy. I can't say... I I mean after the season was over, I kind of sat back or maybe it was during the season, I sat back and looked at everything that I had done right before the season uh or not right before, but leading up to the beginning of the season. And man, I changed a lot. And I was like, what was I thinking?
2: Mm-hmm. You know.
1: But but it but, but it all came together and I was shooting better and for me, it was kind of I was kind of it was kind of frightening because I was like, wait a minute, am I getting too cocky, or you know what, what's going on here? And I wasn't able to attribute it to any one thing because I had changed so much. So I don't know if it's my attention to detail, was I focusing more on my shot, was it did, did any of the equipment or the process of building arrows helped me? I had a new bow, I had new sight, new sight, new peeps you know, different, different style, peak, different release, all kind of stuff I changed, but I just committed to it, you know, and, and it it worked, it worked out. So I got better and everything I changed, I could tell a difference from before I changed it to after I changed it. So I think there was this accumulation of accuracy that helped. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like, uh, I was spraying arrows all over the place or something before. Right. Uh, so you know, but every inch counts, you know, or every half inch counts because if you do make a marginal shot, or or uh, something happens, you know, you you, you clip a clip a arrow, I mean, clip a limb or something like that. Then, if you have any kind of buffer, because you've taken all this this, this, uh, you know, applied all this diligence in the process then maybe you, maybe you come out on the right side of it. Right. Right. So actually I should have, I should have told you that actually happened to me. <laughs> uh, not this past year, the year before I was shooting from the ground blind and I tried to raise up high in my seat and shoot through the window at this deer. And I didn't raise up high enough and I actually shot through the wall of my blind, and I still got a pass-through, through the, you know, through like a liver and lung shot on a deer quartering away <laughs> and got a full pass-through. And, and I didn't know what happened. I didn't know what happened. I went and picked up the arrow, walked back to the blind, and when I, you know, I was going to give this deer time because he ran off, so I went and picked up my arrow, walked back to the blind, and when I was walking back, I saw, I got inside and I saw this, this light coming in the blind. I was like, what? And there was this star shape. Well, (laughs) not not a full star, but there was a star shape right below, if you will, the zipper or windowsill and it's pop-up blind. And I was like, what the heck? Did, Did I just, I shot through the damn wall. And, and then, uh it was weird. I shoot a mechanical. Only one blade opened up. Oh wow! You know, so it wasn't a perfect start, but only one blade opened up going through that blind. And it's still. And when I harvested the deer and cleaned it, you know, gutted it and everything, sure enough, there's two great blades out, and then one that's kind of half out. And I think the one that opened up going through the blind, it was flying kind of cattywampus. And it penetrates the deer in and out full pass through with just, you know, basically two blades and one kind of half open or not, you know, acting kind of funky as it penetrated through. So just, just being focused and going through your process, you know, sometimes marginal shots happen or things happen and it, it works out. So I try to eliminate, like I said, equipment issues or any, I try to minimize that. And just cause, cause we're going to make a mistake at yeah. some point or something's going to happen that we just couldn't foresee. But yeah, I sat through the damn blind and still got a pass through on the deer.
0: Man, that's crazy. So last question I have for you is, do you have any advice for someone who, like maybe me who is interested in starting to work on their own equipment, whether it's their bow or their air you know, building their own arrow setup. Uh do you have any advice for us before we pull the trigger and start to do all this?
1: Well my advice would be uh even if you aren't changed I think arrow building is a perfect place to start, right? It gives you something to do in the off season. You can uh In your case, or most of our cases, you can do it at home and still be around the kids and family and stuff in your downtime, you know. Uh, You can go at your own pace. There's lots of information out there on how to do it. And you don't have to change anything. Like, you can build it like the arrows that you buy, but now you're just doing it yourself. And it helps you understand, wow, that's exactly right. Or if you want to change colors of veins or... They become you cut one at the range with another another you know another arrow or broadhead or something. Just go back and change it instead of spending that money it saves you a little bit of money and gives you, get you involved and it'll be like a gateway man. I mean building arrows is kind of like a gateway drug right to, to all the other things that you could graduate <laughs> to you know you know changing changing stuff on your on your bow, pressing your bow and doing things doing all your own setups and stuff, but it's an easy way to just spend some time. And it doesn't take a lot of equipment to do it. You pretty much just buy a jig and, and glue in the same parts and pieces that you buy anyway. Right. You know? Right. So, um, I think it's, it's an easy way. Don't be intimidated by it, you know, and don't be, don't be afraid to, to fail. Really the glue and the veins are pretty cheap. The only thing that's, that costs a significant amount is maybe a decent, a decent, uh, jig and the arrows, but you're already spending, you're already spending the money on the arrows. Right. Right. And, and if, if you, if you reflect them instead of buying new, new arrows that already have veins and flexions on them or whatever, then, then you're going to save that money anyway. You're, you're spending less. So I don't know. I think, I think it's just, another thing we do to pass the time, you know?
0: Right. Absolutely, man. Well, it makes sense. And after hearing you talk, I definitely am even more interested in doing it myself. Now I just got to find if it's laying around somewhere, I'll have to check under the couch, but I got to find more time to do all this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast again and, and uh, share your arrow building experience with us
1: yeah that's no problem if if you If you get into it, Dan, and have any questions, just reach out to me. I'll be glad to go into detail on anything.
0: Huge shout out to Dan. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and talk about arrows with me. I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to listen and download. Be sure you go check out the other Nine Finger Chronicles podcast that was posted today over on the big game Western RSS feed under the Sportsman's Nation. Also, huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Lone Wolf ripcord exodus wasp and ozonix and of course interstate batteries the network sponsor thank you guys very much for your support because without your support i wouldn't be doing this as much and the sportsman nation may not even exist because you know if it wasn't for you guys so thank you very much for that also check out Everything on social media, the Nine Finger Chronicles, Sportsman's Nation, both on Instagram and Facebook, as well as all of the other podcasts that are on the Whitetail feed and the Big Game feed as well. Make sure you guys are checking out sportsmansnation.com. There's going to be a blog popping up soon that's going to be full of information, not only about cool stories, but you know, gear. Strategy. Everything is going to be uh, popping up on that blog. We're going to have a ton of really creative new writers who, you know, are going to be providing more than what you're probably used to on some of these other uh, blogs, like 10 tips to kill a big buck, five tips to kill a big buck, so forth and so on. We're going to try to be a little bit different in our approach to the writings and the content that we're going to be putting out, and. And I, I'm probably taking on too much here, and I don't really even want to say it yet. But there is a good chance that by, I want to say, mid to late summer, I'm going to be putting up a waterfowl hunting podcast feed on the Sportsman's Nation as well. So not only are you going to have big game and whitetails, you're going to have waterfowl content coming down the path as well. So thank you guys very much for watching following along and listening i really appreciate it and last but not least go to itunes leave a review and actually last but definitely not least if you are going to be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness have a good week